This is God's word. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put on my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we begin, I invite you to pray with me. God of grace, as we come together, um, we come from all kinds of different experiences and different journeys with regard to who you are and what you have meant to us. So as some of us sit here wondering if it was even a mistake to do something so uh, so potentially powerful in our lives, um, so potentially personal, and we wonder um, if we'll ever come back. Others of us just sit here and we maybe want to be here, but there are doubts or questions plaguing us, or maybe wounds, new wounds, old wounds that have resurfaced. Others of us come with thankfulness. You've answered a prayer recently or a life issue, and you've shown yourself to care and to be relevant to our life, to be faithful, and we want to give ourselves back to you. And from all these different places, we're hoping that you you speak to us, you meet with us, and something happens now where we get a sense that you are present for us and spoke into our lives. So will you do that? And will you help us to know that we're all in the same boat, we're more of a mess than we care to admit, but in Christ, you have moved towards us and towards our mess with love. Will you speak to us through that love now in Christ's name? Amen. So the, the words that Israel's God give, uh, Israel's God gave for the priest to say over the people go like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Uh, we, we downplay the power of words. It's a cultural thing, I think. Um, we have the ability, like never before, to share words with each other at any time, any place. And what do we find ourselves doing? This. OMG, that's TMI. Uh, I'm LMAO. And that's what we choose to do. Words. But internally, I think most of us suspect, in fact, we know the power, the great power words can have, the great power words can have. Um, I think a subtle downplay in words is the, the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words. You just need a picture. But for myself, I'll take ten words of affirmation any day over any picture. Words are powerful. We know this, even though we downplay it. Uh, I think words are way more powerful than we even realize. Way more powerful for good in our lives, way more powerful for hurt in our lives. 
And I think that part of the reason why we need to think about their power this morning, the power of words, is because truth is, to some degree, you are walking around every day with the fragility of a fractured ego and you're holding it together with scotch tape confidence. And you, people, won't, people in your life, they don't even know that that's going on to some degree that you have a fractured ego that has just hasn't, hasn't been taken care of. It hasn't been dealt with in a satisfying way. Because maybe you um, cover it over by projecting your impressive qualities um, and that's how you feel okay about yourself. Or uh, you might try, your thing might be that you disappear and you are a chameleon. You're an expert at being a social chameleon because you never want to stand out in case the hurt might come through words. Um, I think that whether you know it or not, you have a heart that craves to be spoken well of. You crave it. You crave it to be spoken well of so that the restoration, the repair, the sort of recovery of your true self might might happen. And if you can be humble enough to acknowledge that some of that dynamic is going on with you, that there's a that there is a fractured ego, and your heart really does crave to be spoken well of in some kind of powerful, life-changing way, then you're ready this morning. You're ready to hear what the Bible says about God in his use of words. And his really it's going to turn out to look like a bit of a plan that God is going to use words within. So let's look at this a second. This is going to be an out... There's no outline to this. Sometimes I give a simple three-point outline. But just follow this thread of words as we look at the Bible a minute. Maybe, maybe you like having yours open and flipping with me. You don't have to. Do you know how God... What power the God of the universe tapped into to create the earth and and the universe. Do you know what power he tapped into? Genesis 1 says he just spoke his words. He used the power of his words and just said things and then they came into being. When you find yourself um, on a beach and the waves are crashing in and the beauty is all around you, you're hearing in a sense, you're hearing the work of God's voice. That's the power that's behind all of that. When you're walking through the forest and you're astounded by 12 to 15 different bird sounds that are all kind of chiming together all around you, a chorus of music in a, in a place of beauty, you're hearing the power of God's words. So he creates with an astounding power. Then he, he finishes after he speaks all these things into existence. God finishes by doing this. He's made uh, man and woman now. And this is what is said. God blessed them. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them. That's our key word this morning. And he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. He blessed them. Those are his words. Powerful words spoken to them. When they turn from God, and it doesn't take very long for the Bible to get into this, chapter 3, 
we have the heading, The Fall, in the Bible that you have in front of you. So they turn from him. Then there becomes introduced this other kind of words. He's blessed them, but now he has these these words that are that are that speak to a harsher reality that's now come into existence. And the word curse is even in there. He curses the, the animals uh, because of the snake. He curses the ground because of Adam. And there's a negative kind of turn and direction of this good creation. It's going, it was going like this. It was good. Everything was good. And then there's this turn. And now God speaks to that turn. And theologians and Bible scholars talk about sort of a progression of this, this story of the Bible as creation and then fall. Is, is this crucial benchmarks and, and phases almost in our story. Creation, fall, and at the fall point, there's these words spoken that are powerful and they're curse. Okay, so that's how things start. But there's something else that's going to happen. There's creation, there's fall, there's another phase that's going to come up. And it doesn't take very long for that to show itself either. We get to the point where there's Noah, and Noah is saved, and there's a sense in which now God is entering in with words again, words of blessing again. He's going to somehow now use, with this problem of how the drama has developed, he's going to use words... As in some kind of powerful way for where it's going to go and how things are going to maybe get restored or recreated. And how do I know that he does that? Because if you read Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, what did he say? Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. What does that remind you of? Genesis 1, when things were still good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Same words. And um, that might seem, okay, fixed, right? God's entered in with good words again, and it's gonna, but it doesn't go that way. And he needs to, it's a very beginning seed of a long-range kind of plan. And you see then all of a sudden with Abram in Genesis chapter 12, this is what God said to Abram. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And you will be a blessing. Uh, I will make your name... Uh, I read that out of order. I will make your name great and you, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this use of words now to restore things continues until you get to Abram's grandson uh, who is Jacob. So you have Abram and then Isaac and then Jacob. And in chapter 28, verse uh, 14, these are the words spoken to Jacob now. We're almost done with this little walkthrough. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, spreading out, fill the earth. And you will spread out, I'm sorry, and, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring all the peoples on earth blessed through you. So let's stop and review. God's words are astonishingly powerful. And in this messy and broken world in which you and I live in and we feel the mess and we feel the brokenness and the strain every day, in this broken world, 
God's going to somehow use His words to recover, uh, to restore, to recreate some new story, some new thing. And the word blessing is what, is, what characterizes it. All right. Then something stands out if you're looking at it that way. In chapter 27, when the blessing that's going to go to um, Jacob is going to be passed on, this is, what, this is the story that happens. It's a story about a struggle for a blessing. Uh, Isaac and Jacob are twins. Uh, I, what did I say? No, Esau and Jacob are twins. Esau came out first, so he's supposed to get the blessing. Plus, his dad likes him better, so that kind of helps. So he calls Esau in. Uh, Isaac calls in Esau, says, go hunt some wild game, bring it back, I'm going to bless you. I'm about to die, I'm going to bless you. So he does, and the mom, Rebecca, overhears, and she likes Jacob better. And so she uh, hatches the deception plan to get the blessing. Isn't this amazing? Isn't that an amazing story? So then he, they go, you know, it's, and it's really a fun, a fun story and a great children's story because he puts on animal skins with fur so that when dad, who's blind, ah, when he touches him, then he thinks it's his, his brother who's hairy. He's a really hairy guy. I mean, this is just great little details. And this is how the blessing is stolen. Um, so here's why, why this story stands out. Is that notice that in that story, suddenly something's different. That blessing that you know God coming and speaking words of blessing into this this drama that and He's going to recreate things through His words. Suddenly, it's not God's words that matter. Suddenly, as the story is told, there's a human agent whose words are truly seem to be powerful, seem to have some kind of weight in the drama of how things are going to play out in our world. You say, really? God's going to use a, use a, a person's fickle words to actually make a difference in this world? It's a blessing agent. And how effective? I mean, if you just want to see how effective and powerful these words are, if you notice how this, the story, the drama of the deceit and the trick, how this goes. Um, let me just read from verse 33 of chapter 27. When Isaac finds out that he blessed the wrong son, it says this, Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. Do you catch how he said that? As if his, his hands are tied. It's irrevocable. I said it. Sure, I said it over the wrong guy. I said your name in his presence, but it's done. And you go, really? It's done. And it goes on. I, Esau says, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac's answer, I made him Lord over you. That's his. That's what he... I mean, all he did was speak some words over the wrong person to bless Jacob instead of Esau. And he says, it's done. I made him, I have no blessing left because I made him Lord over you in my blessing. Whoa. So God entrusts to a person, and that, I mean, it all plays out after that too, that Jacob is blessed, and it flows out with the story. The whole story of the Bible is, is not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. <laughs> If you know that rhythm, it's throughout the Bible. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how God worked. He entrusted the blessing to a human agent. Walter Brueggemann, who's sort of the, the go-to guy for understanding um, 
the Hebrew narratives, he says this about these, this story. He says, Blessing is understood as a world-transforming act which cannot be denied by modern rationality. He says this family in Genesis is preoccupied with blessing as though it matters more than things visible. Preoccupied with blessing as though it matters more than things visible. Here, when words are spoken by authoritative persons in proper context, they have substance. That's what he says. And I want you to marvel over the fact that not only do we have that story, but as you move on, you have clear indication that God's part of God's plan is to intentionally set up blessing agents, authoritative persons in particular contexts who will now be a part of this recreating business by doing what? Speaking words of blessing over others. That's what's going on in number six. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. And then it finishes saying, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. God is going to use Think about what this means. God cares so much that you hear him speak, hear words spoken of his blessing over you. That is so crucial, so critical to him that he prioritizes setting up the way already back in the Old Testament times that every worship service would end with the priests saying these words of blessing over the people. And what's in this, these words? Well, there's a bunch of things I could focus on, but... I'm going to save time for Daisy's tacos uh, later. So I'll just point out one thing here. Um, His face is brought up twice. His face is going to shine on you and be gracious to you. In Hebrew uh, symbolism, the face is a very strong... There's all kinds of metaphors and images, and the face is used very metaphorically and symbolically. If you're able to be brought before someone's face is often how it's spoken of, then you've, been, you've made your way into their acceptance. That's one way it's used. Another way it's used, like here with the word shine, it's just, I mean, we know, it seems a little strange at first. We don't say it like that, the Lord's face shine on you. But we talk about beaming. His face, her face was beaming. It, they, they lit up the room. We talk about that. And just think about that when you think about the Lord's face shining on you. So, every Sunday we we do this. And this is the actual blessing that we've used at the end of every worship service for three and a half years now at City Life. And what is happening is God wants you to know almost as if He wants you to feel like, like His child. And His face is beaming as he as he sees you and as he wants you to go out into life and gives you some last word before you walk out the door it's a beaming father looking at his children saying i bless you i love i love you my you have acceptance before me i'm beaming at the very sight of you now, i i guess my guess is that that's not your con- consistent picture of god day in and day out that doesn't if if it was your life would be transformed from the inside out and some of you have experienced some of that um, but we're often afraid that something more negative is going to come towards us and so was Jacob when he was going to chase after this blessing um, with his mom 
because what he says to his mom is very insightful. He says uh, in, in chapter 27, verse 12, he says, um, I, what if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. And, and we come with a certain sense of wonder how God's going to you know, react to us, what God's feeling towards us is. Get out of my presence. You've tarnished my holy existence. Is he going to say something like that? I, I want to turn my face from you. Um, and although there's some truth to our brokenness that would... That, that a response like that wouldn't be entirely unwarranted by a holy and perfect God. God has made the way that we, that we should know regularly that that's not how he reacts to us. And one of the ways you know is this. Look, Rachel, Rebecca says to this, she says kind of quickly and rashly, she says, my son, let the curse fall on me. And what biblical scholars and commentators say about that is she is foreshadowing something that happens by God himself. That the final blow in this whole story, the final punchline of this whole story that's moving on of God's words recreating and restoring you and all of creation, the final act, the most decisive act in all of that is when God himself comes and through Jesus, he lets the curse fall on him. And so that what? So that the blessing falls on you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, this, this is actually a well-known section of Scripture where it, uh, verse 5 ends with, It is by grace you have been saved. It goes on to say, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And what that means is that the Christian believes that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, taking the curse on Himself, all that is Christ is now yours. And this is going somewhere because there were words spoken to Jesus when he was on earth that are now yours because you are in Christ as if you're seated in the heavenly realm with him because of what he's done. There's been this exchange of curse and blessing. And the words spoken to Jesus at his baptism and his transfiguration were this. From heaven, a voice from above speaking over Jesus the Son. You are my Son whom I love. In you, I am well pleased. You, now, are God's child, whom he loves. In you, he is well pleased. That's yours now. So the question is, do you know it? Do you know that? Are you, in the words of uh, Walter Brueggemann, are you preoccupied with that blessing as though it matters more than anything visible? That is a great description of the Christian life. An increasing preoccupation with knowing that those words are true about you and living as if you are God's child. Um, So do you know that? There's this great uh, scholar, uh, intellectual, who's actually a part of the New Begin cohort um, series of lectures that that we were just talking about. His name's Jamie Smith. And he tells a story about his early experience where at a very early age, his father left the family. His mom remarried. And his stepfather left them. His mom remarried again. And his second stepfather left the family. And so you have this person's experience, as he put it, is 
his whole existence, his whole story, is characterized by dad after dad leaving. And then he found himself in a church one day. And at the end of the service, the minister stood up in the place, as it were, of the righteous father and spoke words of blessing. And he said it was as if he had this experience where it was as if um, he experienced an echo of an embrace that he longed for. To hear that he is God's beloved and that God has committed himself to him. And he started sneaking into the back door of church towards the end of the service just to hear the blessing. So why do you come to church? Are you preoccupied with a blessing? With true words that have incredible power and are going to continue to have power in this world. Um, one, so that's the one, one question is, do you know how blessed you are? And this last very quick uh, reference is, um, do you know what to do with your blessing? Because when Jesus appeared to his followers after he rose from the dead, he appeared to them, he said, peace be with you. A blessing, right? Our blessing always includes the word peace in it. He said, peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands and his side. This is John chapter 20. And then again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You see how he's commissioning them? And we hear that, and it's kind of scary because it sounds like he's giving them this power of decide who needs forgiveness and who doesn't. Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to not read that into what he's saying, but that's not at all what it's saying. It's saying, I'm handing the baton of this blessing of bringing forgiveness to people, to you. So if you miss someone, you know, if you're not out actively bringing these powerful words of blessing into the world's world, they won't hear those powerful words of blessing. If you forgive some, they'll be forgiven. If you don't bring these words of forgiveness, they won't hear it. They won't know it. They won't find it. So think, stop and think about how God has designed you now after hearing these words and being preoccupied with them to also then have powerful words to those, everyone around you. Words of blessing. You are my child, my love, and you I am well pleased. That everyone around you, God wants to say that to. Hear these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Let's pray. God of great mercy, your plan is amazing. And yet our, our approach to it is like always seems to be clouded by our own worries and stresses and fears about who you are. So 